Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. We seek a unity from our diversity. And when it comes to the end part of that, that saying diversity there, when I think about diversity, it doesn't really get more diverse uh, than an alien. And so imagine with me for just a moment, if you close your eyes, if there were a Martian that came one day to visit uh, planet Earth, and uh, let's call this Martian Marvin. Um, this is Marv, and, and, and his canine companion, actually named Canine, and uh, Marv, what you may not know about Marv is he's, he's not just any alien, though. He's a very particular, specific kind of alien. He's actually uh, a CSI alien that's come to investigate the local church. And so what Marv does is he comes around and looks at different local churches to see, really, what is it, what's this thing all about that's the, the church? What's the local church really about? And see, the truth is, if Marv went to some churches, he might think that they are uh, entertainment businesses. When people come in, they grab some snacks to eat, uh, they watch the show, they clap if it's good, they laugh if it's funny, uh, and, and when it's all over, they just leave. If Marv was investigating some local church, he might, he might think that they are just self-help facilities, because Marv might deduct uh, that it was a place to find out really about how to fix your marriage and how to manage your money and how to manage your stress and raise your kids and stop your addictions and, and generally just how to become a better person. If Marv went to some local churches to investigate, uh, he might even think that it's just a country club because he notices how people dress in their best and, and uh, greet and are greeted. They see and are seen. Uh, they pay their membership dues, and then because they pay those dues, they get to receive and enjoy all the benefits of membership. So obviously, those three things, those would be some pretty extreme examples of what Marv might find. But, but I just wonder if Marv, the CSI alien, if he, if he knew nothing about Rest Church, if he knew nothing about our mission and knew nothing about our vision, but he looked in and observed everything that we do all, all week long, I just wonder, would he say, would he look at us and say, yeah, that, that church there, they're really all about this somebody named Jesus. See, I, I know that there are a lot of reasons, you know, but, but two main reasons that the mission of the church sometimes gets a little bit 
muddy from time to time, or at least these two things. I know there are a lot more, but at least these two. It's misalignment and the lie of leader. Misalignment and the lie of leader. So first, misalignment. This is when priorities are stacked wrongly. This, this happens when there's an incorrect arrangement of, of priority and the mission. It, it starts to get a little out of balance. Like, like for you, have you ever driven your truck or car before with the wheels, one of the wheels out of balance? Like, like no matter what you do or how hard you try, you are constantly being pulled to one side or the other, no matter how hard you try to keep that sucker straight in the road. It's pulling you to one side or the other, no matter what you do, how you do it, or how hard you work. It's misalignment. And there's this struggle, there's this struggle to stay on the intended direction that you originally set out at. And so misalignment, it causes some major problems for us. At, at a minimum, our tires are going to wear out, we're going to get tired, or maybe at a maximum, it's going to lead us off into a ditch as we crash. It's misalignment. And, and have you ever seen this before, local church misalignment, when, when, when a someone or everyone's are pulling in a different direction maybe than the attended mission? And this happens for a lot of reasons, right? It's from an overcommitment of people sometimes. Sometimes it's from people not being able to set boundaries. Uh, sometimes it's procrastination in decision-making. With misalignment, what happens, though, is that the vision that's been cast turns into really no vision at all. And this is a classic example of Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people, they perish, Without direction, people drift. Without a goal, motivation, it leaks. And instead of everyone pulling in the same direction together toward a common goal for maybe unity, what starts happening is we compete with one another for resources. And just like your vehicle, whenever there's ministry misalignment and it's out of balance, it can crash. That's our first problem in a, in a muddy mission or mission creep. And the second one, a big problem that muddies the mission sometimes, that fights against church unity, is the lie of, of leader. We use that phrase a lot here, Carl, leader, like we call, we call people, we say, hey, you're a, a leader. And it's, and it's because we really believe that you're not just a volunteer, but that you're a, a leader for Jesus. Help me out real quick. Tell your neighbor, say, hey, I'm a leader. And turn back to them and say, yes, you are. You are. And, and you may hear that and go, man, I'm not, I'm not a leader. I, I don't have a formal title. I, I haven't had any of the right training. I don't have the skills to motivate anybody. And the good news is that is if you think that, if you, if you believe that, the good news is that that's okay if you don't have any of that stuff because what you do have 100%, if nothing else by default, is you have influence. You have influence. Because leadership, when you break it down, that's what it is. It's influence. And every one of us has influence on someone in our life. You are constantly either pulling people toward the direction of Christ or pushing them away from him in every single thing that you do. The lie of leader is this. It's that it could never be you. When in actuality, when you read the scriptures from God's blueprint of the church, it is dependent on you. Depending on you following him and pushing the mission forward to help it have health and vitality and flourish. 
having influence over someone's not coercion. It's not, it's not just getting someone to do what you want them to do, but I believe that, 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 that this is a strength that comes within you from the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and it invites you to encourage and to help shape the people around you into the image of Christ in the local church. See, every person in this room, believer to non-believer, you, you have hardwired into your DNA by God at least one gift set. You've been hardwired with at least one gift, the way God has created you. First uh, Peter 4 tells us this, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And I'm telling you, church, man, whenever, whenever a local church, when, when, when leaders in the local church, that's you, that's me, that's us, that's we, when we find this Holy Spirit kind of alignment and we use our differences and we use our gift sets to influence and love the bride of Christ, it leads to the supernatural spirit of unity and harmony. It's Ephesians chapter four, verse three, that says, make every effort to keep yourself united united in the spirit the holy spirit that is binding yourselves together in the bond of peace see unity whenever she shows up to the party whenever unity shows up it leaves no doubt for people like marv about the mission of the local church and who she's been built for because when we when we have unity from our, our diversity, from our from our differences, anyone can look in at a place like this place and go, yeah, yeah, this is this is about somebody named Jesus. When when Paul back to Ephesians four says there, united in the spirit, do you know what he means when he says bind? We says binded together. I love I love what uh, one of our deacons said to me a few a few weeks ago. He was like, you've got people in your life that you're related to right it's, it's by blood it's by default you can't change it and he was talking about maybe other churches that he's attended or been to before and then he said and then you got family like rest that's that's what binded together is that it's not necessarily blood to blood but it's binded under and united under the banner of of Christ Jesus it's unity and not uniformity and that's what we're after here we're after unity do you know what the difference really is between unity and uniformity? Have you ever thought about that? Well, well unity is when you take the self-worship of I and the form away. It's when you remove the I worship of the form. And this is what I mean. Like, you, maybe, maybe you've seen this in, in some places when uniformity shows up and misalignments there, and someone goes, well, I, I know the form of worship that's the best, and all the others are terrible. It, it's when someone goes, well, I know, I know what form God the Holy Spirit takes in shaping the lives of believers in the sanctification process. So you can't do that. You can't say this. It, it shows up when we go, I, I know my form of ministry is better than yours. But here at rest, we have to be after unity and not uniformity, and partly because there is a vast disparity. Uh, here at rest, we have cultural disparity, we have age disparity, we have racial diversity, and we know that our differences, that's what makes us better, to complement one another in the body of Christ. As long as, as long as you as the leader do your part and pull together in the same direction. So I know that was kind of a lengthy intro, but this morning what I want us to do together 
is I want to take you to the Old Testament book of Judges. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and pull that out. And we're going to go to Judges, and I'm going to judge you. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But we're going to, we're going to look at this historical account of this really unlikely leader, and his name's Gideon, and he was facing those two problems we talked about earlier, misalignment and the lie about the leader. And, and, and so he had to do some really unlikely things to, to get some unity in the Spirit of God, uh, to bind together to a common cause. And as you're turning to Judges 7, if you have your phone or Bible, um, I'll kind of set up some of the context here. Chapter 7, when we jump into it, it actually jumps into the middle of this story that's being told about Gideon. And so we meet Gideon, who's this guy that, that God has chosen, and he's going to fashion him into a deliverer for the Israelite people. But Gideon, he didn't start out as a natural-born leader. He's probably not who you and I would have chosen first to lead. And so God, he has this plan for his people. He has this promise for his people. He has a promise that he's going to give some land over to the nation of Israel. But the problem is Israel, they keep uh, drastically, cyclically jumping back into these cycles of sin and rebelling against God. And what happens is that Israel all of a sudden starts to look like all of the surrounding nations. It's a uniformity. And so sometimes it takes the people of God a couple of years. Sometimes it takes a generation or so. But eventually, inevitably, they always call back out to God for God to rescue them. And what's so crazy and amazing is that every time they call out, God rescues them. God delivers his people, no matter how many times they mess up. So what we're going to do is sit down this morning, mainly on the first eight verses in Judges. Uh, chapter 7, and I'll summarize up the end, but we're going to read verses 1 uh, through 8 together, and then we'll look at verse 22. And I asked Jared, uh, if he's in here, uh, one of our deacons to come up and read this morning, because I figured you'd probably get tired of me talking with so much scripture. So uh, let's give a round of applause for Jared uh, to come up, and uh, I'll let you read this, and then we'll follow along. Uh, So we're going to do Judges chapter 7, verse 1 through 8, and then also verse 22. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. 
and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And verse 22. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for letting us be here together today. Uh, We just thank you that we have this opportunity always to come uh, as a church family and worship you and learn about you. Um, We just ask you to let us all recognize the Holy Spirit, um, any movement that the Holy Spirit asks us that that we can feel confident in that and in responding um, in whatever way the Spirit is calling us. Uh, we just ask you to uh, be with our pastor, Adam, today as he gives, you the, gives us this message and that we will receive it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Jared again. Let's give it up even more for the Lord Jesus and his word. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the big truth we're going to carry along with us this morning is unity. Unity. It starts with you, and if not you, then who? You know, whenever you look back at the story of Judges and, and in chapter 7 and we meet Gideon, you get this impression kind of of Gideon that he's this really epic, amazing uh, leader who leads the army of God against the Midianites. But before Judges chapter 7, back in, in Judges chapter 6, you find out that that wasn't always Gideon's reality. That Gideon, uh, he was facing this lie of, of leader himself. Because as God calls Gideon to come and serve, uh, he sends an angel of the Lord, which is the Lord Jesus, showing up in the Old Testament. Shout out to him there for that. He shows up in front of Gideon and calls him uh, into, into ministry to lead and against this enemy. And, and Gideon is posted up in this wheat field. He's harvesting crops. He's, he's hiding out from the surrounding enemies around him. He's afraid. He's scared. And as God calls uh, Gideon, as he's out harvesting, Gideon's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. You want, you want me to go and, and, and lead? God, if you're so, if you're so with us, then, then why are we getting dominated by all of these foreigners around us? Like, like I remember the stories that my grandpa's grandpa's grandpa told us about how you did all of these miracles and how you, how you parted the sea. God, where, where are you at now? That's Gideon's uh, first response as, as he receives the call of God. Beyond that, he goes, look, God, my tribe, I don't know if you know this or not, but my tribe, Manasseh, it's the weakest of the 12. Like it's the spare wheel clan. God, nobody calls us to open up the pickle jar when, it, when the top's stuck, okay? We're the weakest one. He says, beyond that, God, I, I'm, the, I'm the weakest one in my family. I'm not even a servant, but I'm out here doing a servant's role in the field harvesting these, these crops. I'm a trumpet player, and you want me to, you want me to captain your, your army? Are you kidding me? Gideon then goes on in Judges 6 to confirm his call from God, but first he needs proof. And so Gideon lays out some Patagonia goat fleece uh, for God to prove himself once again, and, and God does. And so Gideon then, at that point, finally gets on board. Now, verse 1 of chapter 7, if you'll go there with me. Verse 1 of chapter 7, it gives this shout out to Jerobel, Jerobel, who is Gideon. And this is, uh, without, I don't have a lot of time to un- unravel all of the things in this, but, but this is a nickname that Gideon has received, uh, Jerubbabel, um, that's directly tied to God's mission for him as a leader, because that name there, Jerubbabel, it's fun to say, tell your neighbor, Jerubbabel, just like that, with four Bs. Um, as you look at his name, it means the one who contends with Baal. This is the one who fights the enemy. So Gideon all of a sudden has this 
title in town from the community, and he's known as the one who fights on behalf of God, the real God, Jeroboam. And I'm laying out this background for you just so that you know Gideon was not the obvious choice to lead God's army. He was not the obvious one to pick, but he was God's choice. And that's all that mattered. That's all that mattered. That's what made all the difference. And so Gideon or Jeroboam chooses to follow God. And as he chooses to follow God, he runs into some alignment problems, just like every leader does. When you follow God, you're going to run into some alignment problems. Verses 2 and 3 say this. The Lord said this to Gideon, the people with you are they're too many. The Midianites, for, the Midi- for me to give the Midianites into your hand so that you're not boasting among yourselves. I've saved myself. He says, proclaim this to the people, to all the people. Whoever's fearful, trembling, let him go back home, return home. And then 22,000 of the people returned home, and only 10,000 remained. So this is kind of nuts, right? God calls Gideon to lead his army. It's an army of 32,000. And Gideon, he's not only not a skilled warrior, Gideon's not even a warrior at all. He's a trumpet player. He's not still team six, right? From chapter six of Judges, he's a coward that was hiding out near the wine cellar because he was afraid of the enemy. And Gideon shows up at this camp to lead and he has an army of 32,000 people, which typically sounds like a lot, except the fact that they were facing an army of over 135,000 soldiers on the opposite side. So at that point with 32,000, it's like four to one odds going against Gideon. And God says, you gotta love God. He says in verse 2, he says this to Gideon, Gideon, you got too many people with you. You got too many people for this fight. Church, church, have you ever felt this way as you followed God before? As you have followed him, like, you wanted, like maybe you wanted to do something that was really big in, in faith, that was just so big, it was so crazy, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. When you told other people, maybe they said no way to you, and it seemed uh, unrealistic to accomplish. It's one of those, you know, God-sized kind of tasks. that like, it's impossible for you to do by yourself, and there's no way to do it. Well, how, how, do we, how do we navigate those moments of big faith when God calls us to do big, big God-sized things? Well, it starts with you, and if not you, then who? One way that you and I can practically follow God in faith in, in, in those big faith and small faith kind of moments is that you and I, we need some balance. Say balance. We need some balance in our lives. You need this healthy balance of optimism and realism in your life. Walt Disney, he said this uh, once. He said, I'm always like to look on the optimistic side of life, but I'm realistic enough to know that life, it's a complex matter. Because look, If you're living your life under the will of God, you can guarantee he's gonna ask you to do some stuff that you are just not qualified to do. He's gonna ask you to do these things. Stuff that you can only accomplish under his anointing. And so we we need this balance, I think, of of optimism and and, and realism. And, And what I mean is this, we need the ability to see God's best in his promises as we, as we follow him, that's, that's a, an optimism. But, but our faith-based optimism, it, it shouldn't blind, it can't deafen, it shouldn't mute the realities around us because we can't be blind to reality. 
And, and, and you know this, like at a bare minimum, if you follow Jesus at a bare minimum, it's gonna cause you discomfort. At a maximum, it's gonna cause you death. Jesus said that in John 15. He said, remember, he said, remember, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You and I, we have to, we have to rightly acknowledge the reality around us, but we have to learn to respond uh, from God's truths. And, and for me personally, like, I don't, I don't necessarily struggle with like drifting too much toward uh, reality. Like, I don't really struggle with that side. I think I'm pretty realistic on, on, on most things, maybe even pessimistic on, on, on some things. How many of you say you're more pessimistic? Just so you can lift your hand. Okay. That's more than the room. We're going to have to do another series about this, Cody. Um, but, but I do struggle sometimes with being faithfully optimistic, faithfully optimistic. And, and I don't want you to mishear me in this because what I'm not, absolutely not saying is I'm not saying, hey, guys, let's get together Let's group think this thing. Let's have some positive self, self-motivation and, and look inside of ourselves to, to heal ourselves. Go team. That, that's not what I'm saying at, at all. A faith-based optimism is different. The real difference in positive thinking in general and, and a faith-based optimism is that in positive thinking, at least from the human psyche standpoint, it ties you down to these preconceived motions or emotions of what you hope for. These ideas of a certain end result. The problem with that is, and I'm sure you've probably heard this before, right? Speak it out into the existence and it'll happen. But what do you do? What do you do when you get to the end of the road and that doesn't happen? And it leaves you DOA. And you're hopeless. And you're, you're broken and, and, and you're hurt. A faith-based optimism doesn't necessarily focus on a particular outcome. Instead, it is anchored in God and the surety of his promises that he's already said to us. The things that he's already said, I can believe to be true and know that those things will happen. But, and we all need this in our, in our lives because insecurities and, and fears, right, they're really dominant human emotions. And like, like have you ever woken up at, at night at like maybe 3 a.m. before? Anybody, anybody ever done that? Like you just wake up in the middle of the night? Well, I can, pro- I can probably go ahead and guess that like you, you didn't wake up in the middle of the night going, God, I'm really, I'm really struggling right now. I'm trying to manage all of the blessings in my life. They're overflowing and I just can't go to sleep, right? Like praise God if that's you, but, but more than likely, more than likely that's not it. More than likely it's that you're worried about something, right? You're worried about whatever, whatever it is, fill in the blank. You're worried about how the economy is going to affect your business. You're worried about if your idea is good enough or, or, or will work. You're worried about whatever it is, a particular outcome. But we need a faith-based optimism. And it, it always starts with you, and if not you, then Who? For me, I don't, I don't particularly struggle with sleeping at night, but occasionally I'll do. Occasionally I get worried about something. And so in those moments, what, what I'll do is I'll go into this palms up kind of mode where I, where I literally take my hands and, and face them up as I'm, I'm laying in my bed. And this practice actually comes from the Jewish people as they would start off their day every day and end their night every night with the palms up mentality. And so if you would, just, just put your palms up really quick. So the idea of this palms up thing, as, as you're worried, what the Jews would do is they were laying in bed at night. So I'll, you know, imagine me laying in bed. They're laying in bed and they're going, God, I surrender to you in this moment. I know 
that you're still making the world spin even as I am gonna sleep? Like, I, I, I know, God, that you never need a break, but I, I do sometimes. I need a break right now, and so I'm gonna trust you that you're gonna take this thing over, you're gonna take this thing off of me. It's your problem now, Jesus, you, you deal with it. I know there's nothing outside of your jurisdiction and that includes me. And so I just give it up, right? It's, a, it's the practice of, of come to me, all, all you who are weary and, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? You can put your hands down. But you, you, you literally surrender it to the Lord. If, if you struggle with sleeping, try that, try that tonight as you pray to the Lord Jesus and just have a palms up, mentality. Church, when you receive God's mission in your life, if all that you do is focus on the size of the army in the field across for you, you will never, you'll never follow God in faith. So I just wonder, where is God? Where is God stacking the odds against you? Where he's going, hey, John, you're, you are too resourced. You're over-resourced in this area. You've got too many. And so I need, I need to stack the odds against you so that you can faithfully follow me. If, if, if that's you, would you just give it up to him with the palms-up mentality? It starts with you, and if not you, then who? And so perhaps Gideon, he had a palms-up moment with Jesus maybe. As his army gets cut down from 32,000 to 10,000. And so maybe he has that palms up moment and he's like, Jesus, you're still good. I still believe in you. Christ is my firm foundation. I'm not worried about anything around me. I know you will prevail. Maybe he has that kind of moment here. As 22,000 guys get sent home, but at least they're brave enough to be honest. They said they were afraid, so they get sent back home. And I think this is a reminder, all right? 22,000 out of the 32,000 get sent home. I think this is a reminder too in the text for you and, and for me to not take things too personally. That sometimes what others do around you and say, sometimes it has little, if at all, or anything to do with you. We just need to focus ourselves on following the path, getting in alignment with where Jesus has called us to be. And, and so now God in this text, verse four through seven, God looks out at, at his army, and there's still some misalignment. There's still some problem with the math. And so he's got to skew the numbers some more. Listen to this, verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water. I'm going to give them a test. I'll tell you one to go this way, another to go the other. And he says, everyone who laps the water with his tongue like a dog, who kneels down to drink, verse 6, the number of those who lapped, Putting their hands to their mouths was 300, but all the rest knelt down to drink the water. And then the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So, so just place yourself in, in Gideon's shoes for a second. God literally cuts two-thirds of the army. It's split because he says, if you're afraid, here's your option to go home. You can go home. Here's your chance to leave. Then it's down to 10,000. Then God brings this really weird water test before the, 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 the people. And now it's down to 300. And, and so it's 300 against 135,000 of the enemy. And so it's like, if I'm getting, I'm going, Jesus, I don't, I don't know what's in this water that you've been drinking. But like it's 300 against a lot more than we can manage, that we can, that we can fight against. 
And this moment for Gideon probably feels like under his leadership, things are starting to fall apart. And God says to Gideon, Gideon, hey, this, this is exactly where you need to be. See, Gideon's in the background hitting the, he's hitting the panic button, right? God, God says, no, 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 this is, this is perfect. 300, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly what, what I need to demonstrate my glory so that you don't boast for yourself, but you see that the power is mine in victory. And so God makes this unmistakably clear to Gideon, his own army, and everyone else that the power isn't in of themselves, but the power is through God. And, and, and you know, I can't, I can't imagine how painful this must have been for Gideon, right? Like first leadership journey, here you go. Army of 32,000 down to 10, down to 300. And it must have been a really painful process to watch some of his friends walk away from him. Where a bunch of people that he thought was with him that really weren't with him got sent home. And, And church, sometimes for us to grow in unity from our diversity, we need a Gideon type of revival. Where, where there are people who you thought were originally with you who aren't really with you, just leave. And, and I've been in a ton of churches with this. I've been in, in different family dynamics when this happens. And it's always, always painful. Um, but Pastor Johan, it's a productive pruning process, right? As God does this. And, and we've had those in the course of rest. Yeah, here's a, here's a look under our hood. We've had those in, in, different, in different seasons. And, and, it, and, and, and it's not, you know, I really believe it's not because Christians in general speaking, I believe it's not because Christians in general are just inherently dumb. I don't think it's because Christians in general are just trying to create division and, and have evil misalignment on their mind constantly. I, I don't think that is the case, but it's just that division Disunity, it always, it always creates collateral damage because if you and me, if we're constantly pulling and tug of war in different directions, we're, ne- we're never going to accomplish anything. We're never going to get anything done. And, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but here at rest, it, it, it's like this. It's either, it's either get in or, or get out. And so let me, let me be abundantly clear on this. If we're just, if we're just sitting in halfway what it does is that it doesn't do anything, but it hurts everything. And so it's like, hey, 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 hey welcome. If you're, if, you're, if you're on this side of like, hey, you're new to rest. We're like, hey, welcome here. Jump in, get plugged in, because God really has a lot for you to do. That's, that's where we're at. And, and if you're not, maybe you're on the other side, you're going, we're like, hey, welcome to rest. We're like, are you sticking around? You're like, no, you know, probably not. We're like, okay, hey, you should, you should really go somewhere else to another local church and plug in there because God really has a lot for you to do. We're saying just get, just get connected to the body of Christ, the local body of Christ, a, a good Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian church because it needs you. It needs you to build her up. And, 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 and practically, this extends, man, this, this idea of unity extends beyond uh, even to Christian and non-Christian. Think about, like, maybe if you're dating right now, some of you may be dating in here. Like, you need to be on the same page with this person as you're preparing for marriage with them. You need some alignment, right? You, you, need, you need some similar primary convictions with them. So you, wanna, you, you might want to go, hey, hey, you know, what, what kind of church do you want to go to? Hey, you know, what, what's, your, what's your doctrine? Hey, what, what, what mission does God have you on? I want to make sure we're on, on the right mission. 
Because what's going to happen is if you're the, if you're the, the charismatic girl who believes in, uh, in speaking in tongues, right, and you meet the cute fundamentalist guy who believes, you know, people who speak in tongues are demon-possessed, like at a, at a bare minimum, it's going to be awkward at the family table when you have kids and mom is sitting on one side going, shakata makata lakata, and dad's across the table like trying to cast the demon out of her, right? And the kids are all crying everywhere. Like we need some unity. We, got, we, we need to be on the same page together so we can pull in the same direction, amen? And this starts with you. And if not you, then Who? That's why benchmark number three for us, it says this. Hey, we're a place for anybody, but we're not for everybody. And here's what we mean when we say this, as it reads, this is a place where anyone is welcome, but we realize it won't be for everybody. You may come into rest and find it's a place that doesn't uh, fit your needs, desires, and beliefs, and we think that that's okay. However, since we believe the local church is God's plan A, if you find that your mission or vision is different than Rest Church, we would love to help plug you into another local church that can minister to you and help you grow better. We are about the big C church. Let me ask you, church, who's our target here at Rest? Who's our target, right? Like specifically, Cody's right, it, it's men. But generally speaking, it's It's everyone. Right? It's, it's anybody. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, it says, Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's anybody. That means rich people. That means poor people. That means old people. That means young people. That means every kind of people from every kind of background can always excitedly make their way in here to meet Jesus and walk with him. Like, like, like the, the life of Jesus is for anybody. And, and, and we believe that, that, that there's unity in our differences, in our diversities. We complement one another. Heaven's like this, right? It's this great mosaic, and we're just trying to, you know, make it as in, in Paducah as it is in heaven. But, 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 we get that, that we're not a place for everybody. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, all all who are burdened and weary come to me. That's, that's inclusive, right? But then in, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, hey, not everyone, who, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's exclusive. Jesus says, or in John 3, it says, for God, loved, uh, for God so loved the whole world. That's anybody, right? In 2 Peter 3, uh, it's talking about Jesus' return. It says that he's not slow in keeping his promise, but he's patient and doesn't want anyone to perish. Now, even though Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish, that doesn't mean no one will perish. It's exclusive. And, and for Gideon in this moment, okay, in our story, there are 31,700 not everybody's that show up to his party. And God just needs 300 anybody's to accomplish his glory. And this is a, a reminder, man, for, for you and for me, that God, man, he, re he recruits for faith and not for forces. And if it's not gonna be you, then who? With these 300, God says, look, I'm gonna, Israel, I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna reach, I'm gonna save you. And even though now it's like 450 to one odds going against God's army, God says, here's what, here's what you're going to need to do, verse, verse 8. He says, you're going to go, you're going to go out, 
team of 300. You're going to go out, you're going to, you're going to gather up all the provisions, everybody's stuff. You're going to get everybody's stuff. And this is what he tells them. So the people took the provisions and their trumpets, and, and they sent all the rest to their tent, but retained the 300, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And so, like, if I'm part of this 300 in this moment, right, and Gideon looks, looks out, we've only got 300 now, I, I can't even play the trumpet. <laughs> and he says, hey, go get this up, but don't forget the trumpets. Don't, don't forget the trumpets. God, God what, are, what is it that you're up to? And, and what God was doing is he was further carrying them down, taking them down this planned path of abandonment. Right, that's, that's what we're seeing here. Gideon himself, he had to abandon the mindset that, that God couldn't use him as a leader. The, uh, they had to literally abandon certain people who weren't aligned with them on mission. Uh, Gideon, or, or all of them, abandoned their swords and, and shields and are, are told to go and grab the trumpets. Sometimes, hear me on this, sometimes, for, in order for us to grow in unity, we have to abandon the 31,700 good things in our lives so that we can focus on the 300 God things that he has in front of us. The things that we've been built to do. This is like benchmark number seven for us here. It's that we paint golf balls. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Have you ever tried to paint a, Ted, I know you probably tried to paint a golf ball. Like imagine trying to, that that would take a lot of focus to paint on, on a golf ball, right? This is what it says. If a ministry method or program doesn't fit within restoring Jesus in home, church, and city, we simply say no to doing it. That means our mission's fixed. This doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that it's not us. And so we want to be vision critical in everything we do. And we are constantly asking. So here's the flexible part. We are constantly asking, where is God moving? And how do we get on board? And, and maybe you've heard this before, but... If you, if you set out to chase two rabbits at the same time, you know what happens? Both thumper and bugs escape, right? So how do we stay focused and flexible in following Jesus? One way, one easy way is to add more ors than ands in your life. To add more ors than ands in your life. Instead of us saying and sometimes we need to step back and say, or, and like, I can't, I can't really speak to your life on this because, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know you necessarily, but for church vision, instead of us going, look, hey, um, Nathan, we could do a singles ministry, and we could do a divorce ministry, and we could do an addiction recovery ministry, and we could do uh, uh, the children puppet thing, and we could do uh, Christmas musicals, and we could host conferences and events, and we, and we could do uh, and, and then, and then, and then. Instead of adding more ands, what we do here at REST is we add a lot more ors so that we can stay focused on, on, on the mission that Christ has called us to do. Tom Rainer, Eric Geiger, in their book, Simple Church, which is the book our leadership loves here, they said this about divine focus, that it's a commitment to abandon everything that falls outside of the simple ministry process. So if I were to ask you or someone were to come to you and say, hey, what are you the best at? Like, what's one thing? That, that, that you're really, really good at doing? Or, or what's the one thing that you really enjoy doing for the glory of God? If you could only do one thing that had the biggest nuclear impact, what would it be? What would you do? 
Uh, several years ago, Pastor Cody, myself, and Pastor Johan, we, we got into a, a room together in our second building on Park Avenue. And what we did is we wrote on some lists every single thing that we did at Rest Church. And so the lists were like uh, lamb scrolls for miles and miles and miles, right, in that early season of rest. We were, we were doing a lot of things in, in that particular season. What, what we did is we approached our list as we asked two uh, really simple kind of questions. And the, and the first one was, what do we actually enjoy doing for the glory of God? When we look through our list, what do we enjoy doing on this list? What's part of our Romans 12 one spiritual act of worship as we worship the Lord? What do we enjoy doing? So we kept, you know, one or two of those things. And then we, the second question we asked as we followed up that, we said, uh, what's the one thing that can't be done without us on this list? What's the one thing that can't be done without us? And at that time, it was, there was a lot, a, a lot of things but what we did is instead of adding ands, we brought or into the conversation. And as a result, we didn't have student ministry for like, what, two years here at rest? But what it allowed us to do is it allowed us to empower the people around us to lead as the leaders that God has made them to be. And I'm telling you right now in Rest Church, our serve squad team leaders and members, man, they, they, they do what they do so much better than if we were to just do it by ourselves alone. Like it's, why, it's like why me and Pastor Cody, we, we don't lead worship anymore, okay? Unless, like unless we get an itch to do it maybe or if everyone's sick. But even then, if everyone's sick, it's, it's like really, but how sick are you, you know? My wife, she's a nurse, she can bring an IV in. Uh, so, Pastor John and Josh, Todd, Alyssa, uh, all, all you guys, if, if, if you see them on stage one day with an IV bag, you're going to know, right? They're just serving. But this unity thing, it starts with you, and if not you, then who? And, I, and I'm reminded, just really as a really quick side note here, I'm reminded in this, um, more ors instead of ands, as, as the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he, uh, he, when he was faithfully rebuilding the, the broken walls of Jerusalem, two of his enemies, uh, Sambala and Geshem, they invited Nehemiah out to this you know, special meeting uh, with him. I almost said deacon's meeting. Into this meeting with him. Uh, and they had this intention of thwarting the progress that he was accomplishing through the Lord Jesus. And so church, just do me a favor. Do me a favor and, and, and put this verse into your memory. Make this a heart verse. His, Nehemiah's response back to them. Listen to what this says. The NLT says it like this. So I replied, Nehemiah says, by sending them this message back, he said, I am engaged in a great work and so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? This is a planned abandonment. That is divine focus. And when you have those things, it automatically decreases your options. The clearer that God's vision becomes to you, the easier it is for you to guard against what God has called you not to do in your leadership. And so church, what is, what is one thing, just one thing that God is asking you to do with a godly excellence to serve his bride? What's just one thing? And wrapping this up, just wrapping up our story of Gideon, verse 12, and I'm going to kind of summarize here at the end. Verse 12, I mean, the Midianite camp, it's about five de miles down the valley uh, from Gideon's army of 300 
where the Israelites are. And so God has cut G's army like 99%, right? He's cut it down. There's this formidable opponent on the other side. It says they looked down and, and, and there were so many. It's like the camels were without number. It was like sand on the seashore looking out at this vast army. And then Gideon in verse 15, um, he receives this vision of victory from one of his comrades. And the vision's confirmed. It says, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped and he returned to the camp and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And I just brought this verse, go back for just a second. I just brought this verse up where in his response of, of he worshipped so that you remember to not be so self-resourced that you push God out of the picture altogether. God intentionally stacks the odds against Gideon so that he has no other option but to bow down and worship and go, God, I need, I need you to do something here. And so he worships. And then as he prepares for battle, 16 through 18, he divided the 300 men into three companies, put the trumpets and the empty jars and torches and he said, to, he said to his men, look at me and do likewise. Further on, do as I do for the Lord and for Gideon. I love this. Uh, Gideon, he's handing out trumpets and torches like Halloween candy to his 300 men. And, 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 and they're like, Gideon, I don't, I, don't, I don't even play the trumpet, bro. And he's like, it's cool. Just do, as it said back in verse 17, I think. Do as I do. Watch me and you do, which is what leadership is. You replicate yourself, right? And so the story concludes, 19 through 22. Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, because they were divided into three groups, came to the camp in the middle of the night, and they blew the trumpets, and they smashed the jars in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars, verse 20. And then verse 21, every man stood in his place around the camp, and all of the army, all of the enemy army ran and they cried out and they fled when they blew the 300 trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword in that enemy army against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled. For some reason, uh, when I read this story, I imagine uh, Gideon going in and attacking this camp like, uh, like Timmy Trumpet. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen that or not. That's how, that's how I picture it in my mind as I, see, as I see Gideon and his army going in against this enemy and God's preparing the victory ahead of him. It's God who, who fights the battle for him, but Gideon still has to show up. Me and you, God's gonna fight for us, but we still have to show up for the fight. We still have to show up for the battle, for the daily ones. God's gonna ask you to do something, church, that you're absolutely not qualified to do apart from his anointing, that you can only accomplish with him. There's gonna be, there's gonna be some things and some people around you that he's gonna need to thin out in order for you to keep following the mission that he's called you to follow and to accomplish this. We, we, need, some, we need some balance, right, in our life. We have to understand the, the assignment that God has got for us. We can't, we can't believe that, that lie of, of the leader that God couldn't use you. He absolutely can. If he can use someone like Gideon and someone like me, he can definitely use someone like you. We have to have that, 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 that faith based in, in the scripture optimism and go in with this, this, this palms up mentality and a surrender to the Lord Jesus. As, we, as we're like Nehemiah, we're like, look, I can't, I can't go over here because God's got me right here. 
And I'm telling you, if, if you'll do that, if you'll, if you'll follow the Lord Jesus in this, he will prepare the victory for himself. But you still have to show up. And so church, when it comes to unity, man, if, if it's not you, then who? Who?